0: Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Revelation Revelation chapter 1. We looked at verses 1 through 6 last week. This week, uh, we're going to... We're going to go through verses 7 through 20, and before we read it, um, I want to tell you a story that I heard, and to be honest, I could not find like the original story, so I'm probably going to butcher it, but I think the point that I'm trying to make is, is going to be clear. A little bit of suspense. (laughs) <laughs> so basically there was this person that became a believer and one of the things that they decided to do was um, they wanted to buy a cross you know, little cross that they would hang on a, on a chain and so this person went to a jewelry and asked the jeweler, hey, I, I'm, uh, I'm looking for a cross. What, what are some of the options? And so, you know, the guy went to the, I don't know, I guess the religion section or whatever. And so, you know, he found a few crosses and his question was, would you like to have the, the, just the, the empty cross or the one with the little guy? So that's, that's the point of the story. That the view that many people have of Jesus is that of the little guy, or sometimes people maybe you know would not be as blatant as to say, "Oh you know he's the little guy on the cross, but other people i've I've heard people refer to Jesus as their homeboy i I've heard ladies, I don't know if this is just a, a lady thing in particular, but I've heard single ladies say, "Oh yeah, I'm dating Jesus." So the reason why bringing these things up is not, you know, not necessarily, if, if you have referred to Jesus as your homeboy in the past or whatever, like my, my intention is you know, not to make you feel guilty. My intention is for us to realize that Jesus... It's not this little guy on the cross. Jesus is not this homeboy or guy that you're dating. Jesus is not your pal or this, you know, cuddly, nice guy, almost like Santa Claus. But rather, the picture that we are going to see Jesus today is a picture that should make us afraid. The picture that John saw, the vision that John saw of Jesus was so intense, so frightening that he fell on his face. And so really, this this is what I want us to see today. I want us to see the glory of Christ. I want us to see the glory of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus. And that like John, as we see this vision of Christ, that we would fall on our faces in, in awe of him, in fear of him. But at the same time, that like John, we would feel the Lord's hand on us saying, do not fear. Do not fear. So let's read the word of God. I, uh, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Starting at verse 7. Revelation 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, In full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen. Those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of God. You may be seated. This is no little guy that we read here. This is the resurrected almighty Jesus, the alpha and the omega. So last week we ended in verse six. I want to briefly touch on verses uh, seven and eight. And I'm just realizing that I don't know where my, iPad is with my notes. So, I mean so far I got I got this far without my notes. So, oh, here we go. <laughs> well, I'm realizing I have a few quotes that I want to read. Otherwise, I would just keep going without them. So, This, uh, verse seven, uh, it's, it it is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Remember that John has just given us a doxology in which, you know, he, he claims that Jesus loves us and he has freed us from our sins by his blood. He made us a kingdom of priests to God, the father, uh, To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. So John breaks in in a doxology. He's not even able to finish the introduction to his book. And he's already given a doxology, a praise to God. And then he's not even done with the first section of the book. And he's already giving a prophetic oracle about Jesus. And so the thing that he says is, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth, will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So, this, this particular verse uh, has been understood by different people in different ways. So I'm going to give you just a couple of the interpretations that, that, I, that I'm uh, aware of, and I'm going to tell you the one that that I hold to, but at the same time I want to tell you this is the book of Revelation. So I don't want to say this is ultimately, you know, the, the ultimate uh, interpretation. But basically, a lot of people take this passage to be a prophecy about Jesus' second coming. A lot of people say, well, it says that he is coming with the clouds. And, and remember that the angel told the disciples that he was going to, you know, just as he went up, he was going to come down. So they take this to mean a reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, a different group of people actually take it to mean something different. They say this is a reference to the ascension of Jesus and to his uh, crowning ceremony. And one of the reasons why they would say this is because John here is quoting Daniel chapter seven, verse thirteen, when when the Son of Man uh, comes in the clouds to the ancient of days, and one of the main reasons that they would give is that the passage in Daniel 7 is actually talking about Jesus' ascension. It is actually prophesying the ascension of Jesus. In other words, Jesus going into heaven and receiving the kingdom. And so this group says, this passage is prophesying Jesus ascending into heaven and re- or not, not really prophesying, but speaking about the ascension of Jesus and talking about how his kingdom has begun. Now, this passage is also a quote from Zechariah twelve, ten, especially particularly the part that taught, um, Every eye will see him, even those who pierce him, and all tribes of the earth will wail. And again, the first group will take this to mean the return of Jesus is going to be visible by everyone. Every eye will see him. And even those, you know, the ones that pierced him, they will be aware of this return, and they will wail on this account, on his account. This other group takes it to mean this was actually fulfilled when Jesus ascended. And this was even more so fulfilled when, Jesus, when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. And the people that pierced him, who would have been alive at the time that Jerusalem was destroyed, they would have said, oh wow, everything that Jesus prophesied came to happen and therefore wail on his account. Um, so these are kind of like the two opposing, or you know, different views. I think the explanation on this side about about it being about Jesus' ascension in, in uh, crowning ceremony, I think it makes sense, and I actually, you know, I'm more inclined to that side of the of, of things. but the fact that he brings up Zechariah. And and just without making things too complicated, (laughs) uh, uh, with the context of the prophecy in Zechariah, I think that one author has put it um, in a way that makes a little bit more sense to me. Uh, This is Keith Matheson from uh, Ligonier Ministries. He says John's oracle in Revelation one seven encompasses everything from the crucifixion. To the new heaven and the new earth. Is that the quote that I want to read? Yeah, I guess, that's, <laughs> I guess that's all I wrote. But basically, I believe that this in this oracle, John is talking about both Jesus' ascension, but it's also talking about his his death, his crucifixion, but it's also talking about his second coming. I think that, in a sense, you know, this prophecy is fulfilled in different ways, or, or you know, in different stages. Because we need to remember that even though Revelation is a book that is talking about events that are that are happening or that are going to happen within the lifetime of the audience, Revelation is also a book that is going to talk about the the fulfillment of times, the end times, the the um, you know the the second coming and the reign of the eternal reign of Christ. So, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. So this is God speaking, and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Um, actually, in, in the, the way that people would transliterate the name of God, Yahweh, in Greek, it would actually be Iao, which is, it starts with, uh, sorry, a, it would be I-O. And so it would be Alpha, Yoda, Omega. And so even in the Greek name of the Lord God, there would be the Alpha and the Omega at the beginning and the end. And this basically means that God is eternal. God has been around forever. God created the world. He was before the world. He has existed forever. And He will be the one to bring this world as we know it to conclusion. And He will be the one to uh, uh, to bring the the new heavens and the new earth. In the words of... In the words of Bachem, God precedes all things as their creator and he will bring all things to eschatological fulfillment. He is the origin and goal of all history. He has the first word in creation and the last word in the new creation. So God is eternal and then we see that Jesus is also eternal. So that was kind of what we had left over from last week. Now let's go to verse 9. I, John, so now John is, uh, uh, you know, mentioning, he is the one writing this letter. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So John, it is, uh, it is traditionally recognized that it is John, the, one of the twelve, who wrote the book of Revelation or who received this revelation and wrote it. Uh, it is also traditionally known that he was in the island of Patmos as an exile, he had been exiled because of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. he was there you know as as a martyr as as someone who was suffering and someone who was a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ um he was there on a on on the Lord's day, which most people would would say that it was a sunday uh, and he was in the spirit, so this almost indicates like he was in some some sort of a of a a, a trends in which he received a vision, but one of the things that i want to one, I want us to see here and i want us, I want to emphasize is that he was the partner of the churches in Asia, and he was their partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in jesus and one of the things that I notice here is that Tribulation, suffering, persecution, and kingdom are not self-exclusive. At least not on this age. So in this age, it, it is it is something that we should not be surprised by. In this age, even though Jesus has already ascended, and even though Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, even though Jesus has already inaugurated his kingdom there is still tribulation. There is still suffering. There is still sickness. There is still death. There is still opposition to the gospel. These two things are not self-exclusive. We can be partners of one another in the kingdom of God as well as partners in tribulation. And we are also partners in patient endurance. So because we have a kingdom because we have been made a kingdom. But because we are still experiencing tribulation and persecution, then we also have to be partners in patient endurance. This is a time. It was a time for for these seven churches. And I believe it is a time for the church until Christ returns. It is a time of patient endurance. Once Jesus returns, There is no more waiting. There is no more tribulation. There is only kingdom. There is only rejoicing, being with him in his presence. But for now, we are partners in tribulation, partners in the kingdom, partners in patient endurance that are in Jesus. So John hears this loud voice like a trumpet. This is the voice of Jesus saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And he names the seven churches by name. So again, this letter is the the entire book of Revelation is addressed to these seven churches. It's not like the first two, three chapters of the book are addressed to them. And then the rest of the book is addressed to us. No, the whole thing is addressed to them. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. So that reference, the son of man, is totally messianic language. It's totally referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John or Jesus explains afterward in, in verse twenty that the seven. Lampstands are the seven churches. So these churches are represented as lampstands, and you know we could speculate and say, oh, you know, it, it's because the church is supposed to be light of the world, or it's supposed to be a light. And I would say, yeah, that's you know that's probably a, that's that's a good uh, a, that's a good point. At the same time we don't really get a lot of explanation here from Christ himself. He just says the lampstands are the seven churches. But the one of the nice things about this, one of the great things about this is that Jesus is standing among in the midst of the lampstands. So these churches even though they are experiencing persecution, these churches even though they are having a hard time, even though they are suffering, even though they are experiencing tribulation, Jesus is in their midst. Jesus is among them. And so we take comfort as well in that no matter what we're going through, no matter if our church is going through some difficult times, no matter if our church is going through persecution, no matter if our church is going through sickness, Jesus is in our midst. Jesus is among us. Apart from him, we could not be lampstands. We could not be a light. We could not even be a church if Jesus weren't in our midst. He was clothed in a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. So this almost... Sounds and speaks about Jesus as a prophet. Jesus as as the, the ultimate prophet. The one who offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. The prophet that the author of Hebrews speaks about. The hairs of his head were white. Like white wool, like snow. So this is, I don't think this is necessarily referring, or, or you know, white hairs as, as like in an older... Person, I think this white hair speaks more of his holiness, of his uh, purity, but at the same time, it can also speak about his wisdom and his power, his glory. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Just imagine that. Imagine seeing someone like a son of man. With his eyes being like a flame of fire, I liked one of the uh, one of the commentaries that I was reading. I liked uh, his commentary on it. David S. Clark says, "No night so dark," he says, "there is no night so dark as to dim his vision. No path so tortuous and crooked that he cannot follow it. No secret so hidden." that it does not blaze before him. No heart that he does not read like an open page. No deed so buried that it does not stand out before him. Nothing so forgotten that it will not come to light. That eye sees through everything. And I mean, if that alone doesn't scare us, if that alone doesn't make us think and say, He knows everything. He sees everything. What we do in secret, what we think, what we say. And if what we're doing, what we're saying, what we're thinking is sinful, is against Him, then this should cause us to extreme fear and repentance. But this is also good news in that when we do the works that he has prepared for us, we don't have to announce them to the world. We don't have to let everyone else know what we're doing. Because nothing is hidden from his sight. He knows what we're doing. He knows our good and our bad works. He knows them. We're going to see in the, in the seven churches how he addresses each one of them. And one of the main things that he says is, I know your works. I know Where you dwell, I know your suffering, your tribulation. Jesus knows nothing is hidden from him. He knows. Verse 15, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. So this probably speaks of his power. It probably speaks of his ability To crush his enemies under his feet. There are several images in the book of Revelation about the crushing of grapes. We know that Jesus is defeating his enemies. We know that God is putting Jesus' enemies under his feet. And so this speaks again of his great power. Now, all of this, I, I, I'm not uh, quoting where all of these images come from, but the whole book of Revelation is loaded with reference references to the Old Testament. All of these things are references to the Old Testament. And again, all of these things are just John, number one, being a great uh, uh, writer, but at the same time receiving this amazing revelation and bringing bringing us back to those Old Testament images, but at the same time, John trying to describe in human terms his vision, right? I mean, that's what he could see, or that's what he could liken things to. Then it says, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. So just imagine when you are by the ocean, maybe the breakers just, you know, breaking into into the rocks or something like that. And it's just like a massive sound. This is no little guy. This is the Lord God. This is the resurrected Jesus whose voice, just with his voice, Make you flee. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp, two edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So, again, in verse 20, he explains that the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, here's another, another section that is also a little bit debated, disputed. With the book of Revelation, it's pretty safe to say that pretty much every verse is disputed. But uh, some people would say, well, these angels, which is also the word for messengers, these angels are actual, you know, angels like Michael and Gabriel who are, you know, assigned to send this message to each church. Some people say, no, these messengers, these angels, messenger, are the pastors of each one of the churches or one of the leaders, one of the elders of these churches. Um, I don't know. I don't have an inclination one way or the other. I do like the idea of, well, so this is kind of what I'm thinking. If there were angels, it, it seems like why would God like go through so many steps, right? Like give his message, because at the beginning it says, right, that in verse one, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So it seems to me that if it were to be angels, God could have given the message directly to the angels and the angels could have given the message to the churches. You know, he could have done that, of course. And that's, you know, That's totally plausible. I do like a little bit more the interpretation of them being messengers, human messengers, especially in light of uh, what he says about, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And the reason why I like this, and maybe this is just something that, you know, I took to heart is because whatever we as messengers to the church, whatever us in leadership, or even whatever... People who are leading others, who are bringing a message from God, whatever we say, we we need to make sure that it is the word of God. We need to make sure that whatever message we are giving to the people is what is coming out of Jesus' mouth, which is a sharp, two-edged sword. In other words, I think that John, almost like, I mean, he is still describing Jesus. But he could have just gone straight to saying that from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, but he brings up the seven stars, the seven messengers, and then he brings up the two-edged sword, almost as if he is showing that the messengers of the churches are subject to the authority of God's word. So, again, this is two different views, but in the end, Jesus is the one who holds these messengers In his hand. This is a message from Christ to the churches, whether these messengers are angels, whether these messengers are uh, pastors, leaders, whatever. Jesus is the one bringing this message. And these messengers, whether they be angels or pastors, they better bring the sharp, two-edged sword of God's word. Notice that this sword is not in Jesus' hand. It is coming out of his mouth because we know that God fights his battles with his word. We know that God accomplishes things through his word. We know that God created the world with his word. We know that God will conquer his enemies with the power of his word. This this sharp two-edged sword. And this for us means that we better take his word seriously. This means for us that we better listen to what he has to say. When I was growing up, it always bugged me that whenever I asked someone or someone was talking about the secret to like growing in your spiritual life, they would always say, well, you have to read your Bible every day. And I was like, oh man, but that's, that's just so simple. Like give me more, give me something like, me need a secret recipe for spiritual growth. Well, this is it. Read God's Word. The Word of God has power to transform. The Word of God has power to create. The Word of God has power to conquer His enemies. We need to read the Word of God. Do you feel like your spiritual life is doing not so well? How is your time in the Word? Do you feel discouraged? How is your time in the Word? Do you feel like that sin that you have been battling is creeping in? How is your time in the Word of God? The words of Jesus are what transforms us. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. This speaks of his glory. Such a a glorious vision that it was like the sun. In fact, at the end of the book of Revelation, when John is describing this, the new Jerusalem, he says, in this new city, there was no need for sun. For the glory of the Lord was its light. The glory of God is so bright, so amazing, so awesome that there is no, not even need for sun. Think about the sun. I mean, that thing is huge. It's incredible. Like no one can get even like close enough to the sun without being destroyed. And think about the glory of God who created the son. So rightfully so, when John saw Jesus, he fell at his feet as though dead. And this reminds us of the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Zechariah and those guys that had visions of God and they just fell as though dead. This is the right response to the glory of Christ. Jesus is not your homeboy. You're not dating Jesus. Jesus is not your pal. Jesus is God. He is the resurrected Christ. He is glorious. And yet, look at what he does. He laid his right hand on me, on John, saying, fear not. So even though he is this incredible, majestic, awesome, holy God, he is also merciful Lord. and the reason why John is not to fear is because Jesus is the first and the last so at the beginning of the of the letter god says i am the alpha and the omega now here jesus says i am the beginning and the last and later on jesus will say i am the alpha and the omega jesus is god there is no question jesus is god if you ever run into someone that denies the deity of christ whether it be a, a Jehovah Witness or, or anyone else, they're going to try to deceive you by bringing you to John 1 and, and say, oh, see, it says, and Jesus was a God. And you say, well, in the first place, that's a wrong translation, but because my Greek is not really good right now, let's go to Revelation and show me how it is that Jesus is not God. There's no way to miss it. Everything that God says about Himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Everything that God says about Himself, Jesus says about Himself. Why do you mean He's not God? (laughs) I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death. In Hades. The reason why we have to fear not is because Jesus, if we have trusted in him, if we have repented, if we have humbled before him, Jesus is the one who has power over death. The last enemy is death. The last enemy is is the power of death and Jesus has already conquered death. He has the keys to death and Hades. Hades is the place where where, where, uh, the, the, the dead were held or are held. And Jesus has power over this. Jesus has the keys over death and Hades. It's kind of like when Jesus tells, him, tells his disciples, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Rather, fear the one that can destroy soul and body into hell. He was not talking about Satan. Satan doesn't have that power. God has the power to destroy your body and soul. But we who are in Christ, we fear not. Because we have his approval. Because we have his forgiveness. Because he redeemed us by his blood. Because he made us a kingdom priest to God. To his God and Father. We fear not because we serve the one who has already conquered death, which is our last enemy. Jesus tells John, write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels or messengers and the seven churches, sorry, the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven Churches. So this is his introduction. In case that the churches were tempted to disregard these words, this is how Jesus introduces himself. So everything that he is going to say to each one of these churches, everything that he is going to say all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, they better listen. This is who is giving them this revelation. And we as well, we better listen to what he has to say. We better take heed of the words of Christ, of the resurrected Christ. He is no little guy. He is the Lord God Almighty. And we better listen to what he has to say. God, we thank you. And we praise you and give you glory. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for how precious and glorious he is. Thank you that those of us who are in Christ have no reason to fear him or to be afraid. We should fear him, but we have no reason to be afraid because He is on our side. He has made us a kingdom. He has defeated death. He holds the keys to death and Hades. And I pray, Lord, that whoever has not given their life to You, whoever has not trusted in You, Lord Jesus, that they would be Terrified by this message. And that they would give their life to you. That they would surrender to you, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died. And that you are alive forevermore. Thank you that you died for our sins. In your name we pray. Amen.